everyone. Welcome to Network Capital. Today we have a very special guest, Lila Shroff, uh, who's uh, a student at Stanford currently on a gap year, building interesting things and also having a portfolio of interests that uh, we're going to discuss today. So Lila, welcome to Network Capital. We're excited to have this chat. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into some of these topics and talk about gap years and why they're so great. So very broadly, um, who are you and what do you do today? Um, let's start off with a big question. <laughs> I think um, going all the way back to when I was a young child, who I am, I've always been really interested in telling stories and looking at the world around me through that lens. Um, I think something that's very human, but something that's always interested me is understanding the perspectives of other people and how they approach life. And um, as an individual, you sort of have your own wants at life, but through writing, through theater, through poetry, I've been able to explore um, and sort of recreate what I think might be some of these other perspectives. So that's always been important to me. And that's something I've carried with me all the way from a young age. Um, and so through high school, that meant a lot of writing and it eventually evolved into podcasting and a passion for audio. And um, from there, all these audio related opportunities sort of exploded and I really dove into that and then more recently have been exploring I guess I would say like media innovation in in a more broader sense um, as well as like this past year as I've taken time off school more about what's important to me um, and in my own life. Wonderful so as we were going through your bio we, we discovered that you were pursuing a wide range of projects even today. So give us a flavor of uh, how this idea of a portfolio of careers come to you at this stage in your life. And then we're gonna dive into each of the projects that you're into. Sure, so I read a book, I think it's a, a pretty popular book a few months ago called Range. And um, one of the, the, the main thesis of Range is that, you know, for a long time, people have sort of had this idea that you have to be hyper-specialized and dive deep into something, whether that's in your education, your career, or whatever it may be. And the book sort of points out that, you know, in a way, knowledge is really transferable. And just because you spend a lot of time working on Project X, it doesn't mean that knowledge isn't also applicable to Project Y, which might be something wildly different. And then, in fact, it's at the intersection of these two different areas that some of the best insights and learnings and realizations can come about. And this book really resonated with me because for a long time, I've always felt, you know, drawn to a lot of different areas, but not super obsessed with one. And I think after reading this book, um, it sort of cemented that, that idea. And I also don't have a specific track in mind, you know, the what do you want to do or be when you grow up questions, never been one that I've really had a good or clear answer to, nor that I necessarily desire to have a clear answer to. And so, um, I think keeping myself in, in sort of the, the, a space where I can pursue multiple different things at the same time um, has been a really valuable way to, to apply that. Um, and, and so far, so good. We'll see how yeah. things continue. 
Um, when I was researching for my book, uh, The Seductive Illusion of Hard Work, I also read uh, Epstein's work and, uh, you know, really tried to understand the Roger Federer model versus the Tiger Woods model and mm. how a deep generalist difference, uh, differs with a specialist. In fact, uh, I've written extensively about the subject and totally resonate with it. Uh, in fact, when we were coming up with the network capital, I don't know what I want to do with my life fellowship, uh, things that keep kept coming back to us were young professionals like you and me or students um, feeling a pressure to know what they want to do with their meandering life at uh, at 16 or 26 or 30, which is harder to do. It's a lifelong iterative process. Uh, but you're a student, right? Um, you, mu you got into Stanford, so you must have had a thesis when you were coming in to Stanford and uh, how did that evolve in the time that you spent there? And uh, what, why did you specifically feel the need to take a gap year versus continuing your education and uh, doing these micro experiments during college? Yeah, so I actually, I haven't fully, I haven't been on campus and started yet. Um, I was supposed to be entering this past fall. Um, and so, a couple factors, I think, sort of led into my gap year. I won't lie, the biggest one being COVID and me thinking, okay, maybe maybe I won't start college on, on Zoom. Um, and so that was a motivating force. But I think backing up, um, I've, I've never been afraid to sort of take a bit of a different path. So in high school, in 10th grade, um, I decided to go to live for a year in Spain on an exchange program um, and, you know, jump into physics and history and Spanish with my like two or three years of language skills. Pretty ill-equipped at the start, but um, for me, that was an experience that really um, was totally deviated from sort of the track, so to speak, that I've been on, but provided learnings that I could apply and grow from that were very different than anything I would have gotten in school. So although I don't think it was necessarily the most academically rigorous year, it, there was a lot of like personal growth and um, opportunity to understand things and see things in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And so fast forward to the end of my senior year of high school, I've done a couple months on Zoom and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I'll take a gap year, very indecisive. And um, and deadline was approaching, the end of summer was approaching. And I think I sort of thought to myself, you know, 30 years out, am I going to regret taking a gap year and doing cool stuff? Or am I going to regret starting? Like, which would I regret more? And framing it like that was really helpful. I said, I think, you know, even if I take a gap year right now, although it is COVID, although a lot of opportunities and things aren't necessarily what they might be, I don't see a path where I say that was a terrible decision. Um, I see a path where I would be very grateful um, for all the opportunities and things I was able to explore. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of uh, Jeff Bezos's uh, regret minimization framework where he talks about mm. the same thing. So you're getting, um, you know, you're thinking like Bezos already, perhaps even better. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, um, how did you decide on Stanford? And uh, when you were in high school, um, were you particularly good in academics? If yes, uh, how did you decide that you wanted to go to a particular school? And talk to us about how your routine 
was uh, when you were a student? Sure. So academics were definitely a top focus in high school and all the way through um, my education thus far. So um, I did make it a priority. And I actually, I'll add on to that point of some unlearnings I've been doing this year. But mm. I think um, when it came down to it, I think Stanford excited me for a number of reasons. Um, I think the people was a big thing, um, as well as the uh, like location and culture of innovation and it was energy and passion and excitement, good weather, you know, all, all rolled into one. Um, but my routine, let me think. I, I'm a I'm, I'm very routine sort of structured person. And so I think every day had sort of a similar, I'd say frame, but would end up looking very different. I'd, um, you know, go to school early in the morning before school. Um, to get work done and also because I hated the student parking lot. I found it very stressful. But um, and then I spend the day at school and then come back and spend I think a substantial portion of the afternoon um, involved in some sort of project or work or something that was maybe different from, you know, my homework or my schoolwork. And then I'd always make sure to get that in as well. Um, and of course, staying on top of academics. But I, I, I'll say that this year, I've sort of taken a step back and I sort of regret a part of high school that I spent too much time focused on studying and not enough on learning. Um, if that makes sense, right? Like, yeah, you can yeah. study for a test, you can memorize, you can do this. And it's it sort of, you get the, you have the grades, it feels like you're doing the right thing, um, succeeding in school, but I don't, there's all these things that I'm like, wow, I wish I'd really learned that, really understood that. And I don't think I've pushed mm. quite that one step far enough. And so this year, while I'm not enrolled in classes um, through university or through a formal, formal school setting, I have been taking classes um, through Zoom, through a number of different um, groups and institutions where there, there is no grade, there is no like thing I'm trying to target. It's, it's purely about the learning. And that has been, I'd say one of the best things so far is having that opportunity and mm -hmm learning in that way um, is not something I've done as much as I wish that I had before. And I definitely would have changed yeah. that. Yeah, reflection is really important. Um, and I think COVID has forced reflection upon us, uh, whether we liked it or not. But I'm glad that you're doing a wide range of really interesting things. So uh, let's start, uh, start talking about the side hustle stack of which you're a co-founder of. What's the larger thesis? And um, how did you get involved? Um, tell us uh, through the journey, tell us the thesis of Side Hustle Stack. Sure, so I think more broadly zooming out um, and over the past set of years, there's been a trend towards a, a wider array of work opportunities that are more flexible, more independent. And these kind of manifest in a few different categories. There is gig work, which can be, you know, you can think of Uber as the most, um, basic example, but really spreads out in a bunch of different ways. You know, you can be walking people's dogs, you can be doing all kinds of stuff. There mm -hmm. is this sort of freelancer um, role that I think is becoming more and more popular um, where you develop your skills that you have your portfolio and you can contract out um, really cool projects, but you are your own boss. And then I'd say another role is a creative person, um, somebody that's um, putting out 
content mm. in whatever form that may mean into the world and um, almost, you know, their social following is kind of like the currency. And it doesn't mean necessarily that, oh, I have 3 million followers. It means that I have a critical number of people that are interested in my work and supporting me, however small that may be, but mm. enough to make a living. Um, and then there's another like hodgepodge of other things that sort of, you know, resellers and people doing all kinds of different stuff. And so um, th that's one trend that's been happening. And then in parallel with, with COVID, there has a lot of, um, been a lot of, you know, job loss and economic inequalities have been widening and um, people are looking for extra streams of revenue. And so those thoughts coupled hmm. together led to this realization that somebody coming into the space or somebody who's lost their job from COVID or somebody, a college student looking to make extra cash on the weekends, like there's so many opportunities out there that span a really wide array of passions and interests, but they're not organized in a way that's clear to the average person that's coming into us. Like, like you know, people might default to some gig work they're not interested in when in reality they could be selling a course on a topic they really enjoy or they could be doing, you know, research work on sort of a freelance, like there's just, yeah. So that's what led to Side Hustle Stack. And I just back up and just explain to anybody um, listening, watching that doesn't know what it is. Um, it's a website, we've compiled a bunch of different, I think currently at 160, 165 different platforms um, where people can earn money and we've categorized them into different um, relevant uh, areas. So there's a restaurant worker, there's chef, there's fitness teacher, um, content creator on and on. Um, so yes, that is, that is the long explanation of, of the thesis behind that. And it's growing and evolving still. And then how I came about that is a completely different story. Um, towards the beginning of my gap year, I made some friends through group chats, other Stanford gap year students. And um, some of these had formed into really, I'd call them really strong friendships that I that I really value and I got connected from one of the girls I met in a group chat to um, a woman who was starting her own investment fund and um, started an internship with her and this was sort of one of the ideas she'd had and so between me herself and then another um, college student at Berkeley we all came together to make this happen. Wonderful so a lot of serendipity COVID Plus your yeah. curiosity coming together in resulting in uh, the side hustle stack. Uh, but I, you also seem to have a portfolio of um, other careers or jobs that you're parallelly, parallelly doing. So um, is side hustle stack the only thing that you're focused on or are you uh, doing some other projects along the side? Um, yeah, so side hustle stack I'd say is like a a fraction, a proportion, I don't know the right word. It's not, it's not the whole um, of what I've been focusing my energy on. Um, so through this internship that I, that I mentioned, I've been working on a sort of another array of projects that have um, spanned all sorts of stuff. There's been putting out surveys and getting perspective on what Gen Z is interested, um, mm -hmm. making TikToks and checking out that ecosystem, um, doing writing and research on different policies and trends, um, sitting in on meetings and conversations that are happening, uh, really a large variety of stuff. And I think to me, that's really exciting. 
And outside of that sort of category of work, um, I've also been working for the past few years, I think three or so, two or three at um, Seattle's local um, NPR National Public Radio Station. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's, I talked about passion for audio and storytelling and it sort of was first ignited there. And I can't thank um, them enough for, for giving me that opportunity, but there's a great podcast program that I, that I did. And um, more recently that's translated into hosting workshops and creating curriculum um, and mentoring other students in the space. So actually um, in a couple of nights, I'm gonna be doing a presentation um, for Martin Luther King um, Junior Day, MLK Day about objectivity in journalism, um, how much of there is it, is that a thing? And, and where to go from there. And so I think right now, especially aligned with this time in the world and current events, it's, it's, it's an exciting conversation to have. So I'm excited for that as well. Well, there's uh, clearly a lot on your plate, but I love the fact that you're conducting uh, so many projects and micro experiments in the gap year that you're taking. Um, is every day a new adventure? Are you learning? Are you nervous at all? Uh, let's see. Yes and no. I think people hear the word, you know, gap year and they think of travel and exploration and going off on your own. And um, the world's not exactly set up the best for that right now. So um, I, I adventure, yes, but not in the like classic sense of adventure. I'd say adventure more through um through I guess the, the internet and Zoom and and books and stories and podcasts and I it sounds kind of weird to say like adventure through knowledge and ideas maybe um, exploring um, topics and areas that stand out to me um, I forget what you you got something else as well no I just wanted to uh, get a flavor of your mind because. Uh... I'm gonna ask you some questions on meritocracy and the pressure to excel, and if ever you mm. felt that. So that's what I'm really leading into. So I just wanted to get, get a flavor of your uh, mind right now. How are you feeling? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I've had in, in the way of nerves. Um, I think it's been, it's definitely been um, an adventure where I don't know what's coming next. Um, but in a really good way, in a way where it seems like there's lots of paths and um, different paths will lead to different things, but that they all hold something exciting, a little bit unknown, and hopefully with lots to be learned from. Hmm. Um, you're, you're doing a wide range of projects. Your background in media and audio obviously helps uh, what you're doing at the Side Hustle Stack. You guys are an internet sensation with TikTok and a wide range of other channels. Congratulations to you, Lee, and uh, uh, the entire team. Um, Have you ever felt a sense of pressure to excel? And if yes, uh, what does that really look like? Yes, um, definitely. That every project I undertake needs to be successful. I must get into uh, Stanford and I, like good things must happen. I think it's been something I've dealt with very internalized. I don't think it's been ever my parents 
explicitly saying you have to get good grades you know sometimes they're actually getting mad they're like you're being too focused or too structured you need to be more creative and let your mind like relax a little bit and not be as you know structured out um I think I think that leads back to what I was talking about before academically in school of, of being more focused on studying and the tests and the grade than the the learning and and what really matters um I think though that this year because I feel like I'm not necessarily working to a specific goal so if I'd say you know through high school I was working to the goal of getting into a certain university and excelling in school right now I don't have that overarching I'd say like north star that that in terms of a specific tangible goal I have more broadly you know things I want to be doing and, and principles and how I want to live my life but in, in a much more flexible way and I think that's reduced a lot of like the internalized pressure to be doing things a certain way or to be hitting a certain bar and it's and it's made it a lot more about um am I enjoying actually the day-to-day -day of what I'm doing and um I, I think I'm not saying like oh I don't care if this turns out good or bad I definitely still want things to to be successful and to go well but I can do it out of passion and excitement and interest instead of you know, it becomes more of the routine of what I'm doing and less of the end goal of the box I'm trying to check. Um, and, yeah. I, and I'm telling myself I want to carry this mindset forward um, through school and not make that same mistake of through, that I made in high school, um, but go into college without worrying about the grades, without worrying about the, the stuff that I think is, you know, easy to get caught up in and to a degree relevant, um, but not necessarily the single most important thing. Got it. Um, but let me ask you one more time. So you gave, gave us a flavor that, you know, your parents were not explicitly pressurizing you um, to excel, but you did feel, you know, a, a sense of a responsibility maybe to perform and do well in all your endeavors. Um, where do you think it comes from? Or in your case, where did it uh, originate and uh, how did that manifest? You gave us a flavor that you had a jam-packed CEO-like routine as a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old, um, but is it partly a reflection of your community, your friends? Are you like that? Is there an implicit pressure? Um, what is it? Yeah, um... I have a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One that I will frame this entire response with. So I, my dad recently sent me a podcast I was listening to and it's about the, the it starts off with this story of these um, crawfish, crayfish, I'm not, uh, not sure how you pronounce it. But anyways, they um, end up um, in these aquariums in Germany. I don't know if, you're, are you familiar with the story? I'm not. Okay, okay. So they end up in these aquariums in Germany. Um, I forget why, but it wasn't like they were bringing in, you know, 30 of these fish. They would bring in one of these fish um, to show it off in the aquarium. And, um, you know, a couple, some time passed and researchers started seeing, interesting, like we brought in only one fish and now there's three or now there's four. Like that doesn't really make sense. Where are these other fish coming from? And they thought, okay, maybe, you know, it was a female fish, maybe, it was, you know, pregnant earlier on when it got imported in, like there's some explanations, but they keep seeing time and time again, not only are the fish 
multiplying from the first one, but that the offspring of those fish are also essentially cloning themselves. And somewhere down the line, one of these fish had had a mutation and they started cloning themselves. And they said, wow, that's super interesting. Here we have like tons and tons of genetic copies. Um, and so they decided let's settle this argument of nature versus nurture. And so they replicated the environments down to pretty much any degree possibly human you know the water was the same they were uh, overfed so that there was no competition for food some lived in isolation so now um genetics were the same nature was the same environment was the same nurture was the same and they observed within these fish after some time these like drastically different outcomes you know one would be three times the size of other um one would have way more like I don't know the fish anatomy, but, but, but long story short, they looked really different. There were some that were more, um, you know, submissive, some were more dominant and, and it, so many different aspects of them. And so they said, interesting, that kind of indicates to us that it isn't a question necessarily of nature versus nurture. It's maybe 25% nature, 25% nurture and 50%, we have no clue what's happening. Um, and, and this can be applied out to a lot of different things in the world, you know, in academics, um, people will have, you know, study for a long time something and, you know, try to apply it to a lot of things. And it might work to an extent, but there's just this whole scope of things that we don't understand and we don't know what we don't understand. So it's a very long <laughs> introduction to saying, I think, although um, parents never explicitly saying um, get, you know, you have to get good grades, you have to do this, you have to do that. I think the way it raised me did um, have a huge, you know, impact in, in how I live my life and, and how I sort of, well, obviously, that's an obvious statement to make, but, um, you know, my dad is always, you know, full of ideas and, you know, he always is trying out crazy new things and exploring new ideas and it's sort of, adopts that mindset that I talked about previously of um, being a bit of a generalist and, and trying out things. And, and, and more recently too, when he was younger, maybe not, but as I've been growing up, yes. And then my mom is very disciplined, very organized. Um, and I think sort of the combination of, you know, my dad very disorganized, but, you know, very passionate, creative, excited. And my mom, you know, always excelling, but in a more disciplined way come together sort of led me in this way but you know I'm saying that you know nature versus nurture I think some of it's also um something that I can't attribute to specifically the reason why but a feeling of I want to use my short time in this world um in the best way possible and I think that's a shared yeah. thing a lot of people feel um but I'm constantly thinking like is this you know, I want to be happy is one goal. And then in parallel, I want to do the most good I can throughout my life. Mm. And how do I marry those two together? Um, uh, thank you for the thoughtful answer. Um, I wrote an article for Harvard Business Review called Category of One. And uh, I essentially argue um, that the future of work is going to be, you know, it's going to be one where people find room for purpose and passion and don't necessarily feel the need to compete for, um, you know, small goals. So I talk about the finite games and the infinite game mindset. But what uh, the way you answered this question made me realize that in, in some intangible way, you are trying to create your category of one. Um, you find relatable mentors, you find curiosity to pursue, and 
it is taking different shapes and forms, but you're trying to get there. But you know, while writing the article, I also came across uh, a lot of research by Rene Girard. Have you, have you heard of his name? Are you familiar with the mimetic theory a little bit? Um, I, I know the name and I, people have told me to look into this and I, and I haven't, so a little teaser explanation would be, would be yeah. helpful. He was also a professor at Stanford. He passed away five years back, so you won't get to see him, but you'll uh, find many of his books in the library. Um, and one thing he argues that what we desire or what we want to learn isn't necessarily, um, it doesn't come from us. It's essentially, we are trying to be somebody else. And normally, uh, you know, what we desire, what we wanna be, what jobs we want, uh, sometimes is not a reflection of what we truly want, but uh, a reflection of the people we admire, what they want, and we want to become them. And this kind of behavior leads, leads us to think that goals are finite, uh, the fruits are finite, and the first one to the party will get the uh, you know, best uh, space of the dance floor, so to speak. So um, in this gap year, um, you're obviously not going that route, but ever before in college or in, in high school, have you ever felt that you need to be like somebody? Because you, have, you are surrounded by lots of interesting mentors and people, uh, but when one is surrounded by lots of interesting mentors and people, sometimes it's hard to differentiate whether one should follow their path or create your own or perhaps merge the two. So walk us through that. Yeah, I'd say, um... I don't know if I've explicitly had that thought. Um, thinking back, I'd say, you know, when I was in that sort of like, you know, middle school, early high school, you're trying to figure out, especially, you know, social standings and your place and your class and some of the more superficial things I think seem more relevant. I think I definitely did have, you know, you know age 13, 14, um, moments of latching on and saying, wow, this person, you know, has these superficial aspects or, you know, has these friends and I, I want to have something like that. I think very um, exacerbated through Instagram and social media and so forth. Hmm. Um, I think more recently, though, in terms of, you know, more maybe relevant goals and interests and in being like other people, I've come to the sort of mindset of, there may be attributes or aspects of how other people are that I think are um, things I strive to do or have or be. But as a whole, um, I don't see, I don't look at other people and say, oh, as a whole, I wish I was entirely like this. And I think hmm. that can be, I think it can be dangerous because like everybody's, um, how they've grown up and how they've lived in their mindset has led them to be like this at the stage of their life. And there's always wonderful things that they, different people bring that might be great for you to adopt. But as, as an individual, I'm pulling what I think is important for me from tons of different places. And that sort of makes up who I am. Um, I also haven't done a lot of like self, enough self-analysis to say maybe, you know, subconsciously I am, mimicking the, the what I see other people around me wanting um but and I'm sure there's an ex there's that exists to an extent within myself but I just haven't had that self-introspection and come to that realization 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you're, uh, we're all figuring it out in one shape or form. This is not a yes or no, but uh, a journey that sure, all of sure. us are uh, along. So um, you're um, in the process of building a platform for passion economy, right? Side hustle stack is uh, in a way that. And uh, um, passion economy and meritocracy are uh, you know two things that are not often talked about, but I think they will be. Meritocracy means that um, there are 30 seats in Stanford, the top 30 students will get in and they deserve uh, to get in and good benefits will come out of them. Passion economy is arguing something interesting. If you do anything really well, whether it's uh, making colorful masks or designer t-shirts or create a course, you can create a meaningful living out of it. How, why create a platform? Aren't there already a few platforms that enable people to do that? What the thesis, give us a deeper flavor into that. And if you can, uh, tell us whether you believe in meritocracy or not. This is again, not a simple oh, question, but just- uh, <laughs> No, not a have. simple question. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the first thing that sort of comes to mind is this, uh, at the intersection of these two ideas, and, and they talk about this in range as well as a number of other places is the question of, is doing something I love what leads me to be good at it or is doing something um, tons, wait, I think I flipped that. Being good at something lead me to keep doing it or um, you, you, I think you know what I'm, what, what I'm leading to, right? That yeah. if you spend a lot of time doing something, you can get good enough and it sort of feeds on itself and becomes a passion or where do passions evolve from and how does that fit into everything? And I, Basically, me, I mean, I think uh, for the uninitiated, what uh, what Lila is talking about is that passions aren't found by sitting under a tree and waiting for the apple to fall. Actually, Isaac Newton was not really sitting under a tree and the apple never <laughs> fell on his head. He was actually in his house away from Cambridge in the middle of plague, working on a math problem. And this is just a story. So we often, uh, as Epstein explained and many others explain as well, Passions aren't found, passions are discovered with the help of micro experiments like the one Lila is doing right now. And uh, yeah, so tell us more on yeah. that, Lila. Thank you for articulating that better. I was sort of getting getting stuck in my words there. But um, so I think the, I talked about before how with this platform we thought um, on, on one end, there's people that are looking for ways to earn money and um, we want to help enable that. And I think the second mm -hmm. aspect too is showing people the, the scope and, or the spectrum of things that they can be doing um, and how they can in parallel to earning the extra income also be exploring things they're interested in. And I think this is, you know, there's sort of a limited extent of if your top goal is to earn extra money right now when you go to the site there's maybe things that don't align necessarily most with what you're interested in and there's things you might be really interested in um if your goal is like short-term return right so if i go to the website right now and i want to make cash that i can have a day out um maybe gig work is my best answer but over time, if I am really, really interested in um, baseball, and I'm not, I don't know, I picked that as an example, but if I am, um, and I'm going to keep doing this gig work, and I don't have that, you know, personal interest or attachment to it, it doesn't really build on itself. But if I decide 
I'm going to start the best blog and the best podcast, or I'm going to sell a course on hmm. um, how to be a baseball sports commenter, or even better, I'm going to start my um, room and clubhouse that I do for baseball games where you can turn off your TV sports commentator and I'm your new person, right? And, and hmm. all of a sudden, this is something I'm actually interested in, and I can invest my time in beyond just... Um, I'm doing this for this short-term, you know, return, but, but it's something that over time, if I'm, if I am passionate about, I will naturally invest more into and I'm building out my own, um, you know, sort of product or service or intellectual mm. property that, that has that deeper value. And I think one of the things that it's been really fun to see, we've put out a number of TikToks that have had varying degrees of success. And one of the comments I've been seeing time and time again in the comments is, where's the art category? Where's the photography category? And we're like, oh, good question, where is it? And, and so that shows, you know, people are interested in, in finding those ways that they can enable those things they're really excited and passionate about um, and, and have it potentially be a source of income as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are three components of uh, meaningful work. I think Daniel Pink talks about it, which is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I think what uh, platforms like yours, Side Hustle Stack, are doing for creators is giving them a platform where they can find these three elements, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, are you see, do you see this in stages that first, uh, the kind of jobs that are most popular are jobs which are meant to supplement an income. Um, then there are kinds of jobs that are meant for people like a writer to create a newsletter or a podcaster to create a podcast and monetize it. Are you seeing one category which is more popular than the other or is it evenly distributed? I think it's, it's different types of people that are coming to the website. There is a type of people that is a, a category of person that is looking for um, ways to make money that are dependable, stable. Um, and, and there's a number of ways to do that. There's a couple, you know, creating content for different brands and, and, and cool things like that. In terms of the... Um, broader passions and interests people bring. I think a lot of it's so far um, a reflection of, of the Gen Z TikTok driving audience. So there's a ton of interest in gaming. How do I make money playing video games with my friends? And um, a lot of interest in writing. And I think especially in some of these um, platforms or tools that none of them are like the, for, for the things that aren't, um, as stable, dependent, recurring income, it's not a one platform and you're done sort of setup. It's let me put together my own personal stack of tools that allows me mm. to do what it is that I want to do. And so mm. for me as a writer, um, it's looking at these different ways of publishing and reaching an audience and earning income and figuring out what is my personal combination. And so I think that's really exciting because it doesn't mean, you know, every single person with the same interest necessarily has their hmm. exact same set of, of hmm. tools. It's what works for me and how do I put that together? And that, like you've been mentioning, that's also through experimenting and testing things out and trying things out, saying what works and what doesn't. Right. Uh, it's an entire ecosystem, right? This uh, creator economy, passion economy. There was a wonderful blog written about the work that you're doing about uh, 
the success that you've had on TikTok, the crash, the website, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so clearly it's a huge market. It's an underserved market. But uh, can you give our listeners a flavor of what this uh, side hustle stack really looks like? Uh, the blogger did a wonderful job of painting out the entire ecosystem. Uh, your challenge is to do this through words. Yeah, um, I can give you both the sort of quick visual and then w- the forces and reasoning behind why it exists. I think sure. the way the experience works, you land on the website and you say, wow, here I have 30 different categories or 27 different categories of work. Um, and I can click on any one of these categories and the site will spit out um, you know, maybe 10 platforms that fall in that category with different pages that show me on each page. Um, if I've clicked be a chef and now I click the specific company, it will tell me what my average earnings would look like, how many people are making money, um, what I would exactly be doing. And, and so it gives me really a good taste of that. And we're working on expanding that experience so that it has, you know, some of the, the, more website functionality um, and a little bit more um, ability for users to say what's worked for them and what hasn't. Um, but behind the scenes, there's a number of, of forces. I think there's, um, yes, this passion economy, creator economy um, subset of, of people that are leveraging social media and platforms like Substack and um, anywhere they're distributing content um, as they're, you know, it's becoming their full-time job. And so mm. that's one force. There's um, another question of how to create a sustainable um, middle class of creators within this ecosystem, right? If you only have the people mm. with the 10 million subscribers on top that are reaping all the income, it's not necessarily as healthy of a way of bringing new users onto the platform. So there was an article um, that Lee, who I've been interning with um, recently wrote that I helped research for him. And I think the analogy painted at the beginning is one that I think is really interesting, which is when they were designing um, musically and, and eventually through ByteDance as well for TikTok, one of the thoughts was in the same way that America represented a land of opportunity where anybody could get their property and grow and reach the middle class and reach success um, as an escape from Europe. They wanted musically to sort of be the same way, you know, YouTube is overcrowded, Instagram, it's hard to become an influencer overnight, but with TikTok, I can have absolutely no followers, um, not have created anything. And if I create content that people enjoy, it will still be seen, it will still be well-received. And there is that feeling that if I wanted to become successful, um, I could have that sort of platform social mobility. Hmm. And so that's one of the forces here is enabling people with those tools to um, to help cultivate that sort of middle class. Um, and what else is there that's going on? Um, COVID and remote work is is definitely a thing and people are saying, you know, in some cases, I value my independence and being able to the autonomy part home, of the puzzle. The autonomy part, exactly. Yeah, it's a nice if we can put it into yeah, exactly. Um, and and I think right now this year, it's a a revelation that people have had that 
you, you know, certainly has been accelerated and maybe it was coming over time, but being able to be at home and, and spend time with family has for some people and not for everybody, but for some people said, um, this is something that I want to have with me. And so going forward, when offices begin to reopen, mm. this is a way for people to say, oh, I can stay at home. I can, you know, continue the good parts of this lifestyle, not the being trapped indoors, but the, the seeing my family and having flexibility. Yeah, and um, you send out newsletters every uh, month, or sometimes, sometimes uh, a few times a month. And uh, one of the newsletters this time was about how different college students or people in Gap here in different colleges across the country, how are they using it? Somebody's becoming a gamer, as you talked about. Somebody's looking to uh, pay for her college through the income from side hustles, etc. So it's clearly a revolution. I think millennials and Gen Z are very much part of this side hustle revolution. Um, mm. Side hustles can sometimes become full-time gigs as well. So um, right. if you were to, uh, you know, not, uh, if you were to also take up a side hustle um, uh, after you start college, uh, what side hustle would that be? And uh, what is the uh, one thing you wish you had time for, but now um, if you had to convert that passion into a side hustle, what would that journey really look like? Good question. I think... Um, my default is I'm going to say writing is something I've always been um, really passionate about. I just really enjoy words and I think the clarity they give me when I am able to put thoughts out on a page instead of keeping them jumbled up in my head. And so, um, and I don't know, I think there's also something to be said for putting your ideas out in the world and seeing what sticks and seeing what everybody is like, what are you talking about? But mm -hmm. it's a great way of just um, exploring, meeting people, sparking conversations. And um, to your second point, I think the beauty and gift of the scap year is that I do have time. So anything I tell you, I don't have time for I'm making an excuse for myself. Um, I, I should be trying it. So I have started off 2021 with the mindset of how can I be doing more independent writing, um, some of it more um, looking at you know, trends I see in the world, but also um, fiction. I've been working on some fiction writing with a friend um, that's come and go and gone in spurts and has been m more recently a little bit stagnant, but I want to um, revitalize that and figure out, like, if I wanted to publish a fiction piece, I don't want to necessarily go through the traditional publisher, this and that route, like, how would I share it and what would I do to get it out there and where would people want to read it? Maybe they don't, hmm. in which case that's okay as well. Um, but I've had a lot of fun so far um, exploring creatively yeah. through words. Writing is, uh, is, is quite an experience. I mean, last, uh, I love writing as well. I've been doing it uh, since I was uh, very young. But the beauty of writing today in the creative economy, the passion economy is that it can be uh, a very, very, very well-paying gig as well. So uh, we run on Network Capital several cohort-based courses, one of which is the Writing Fellowship. So one lecture within that Writing Fellowship is the newsletter economy, where we just try and mm. see what do the newsletters, whether, whether writing stories, uh, or writing about tech or writing about anything, uh, what does earning really look like or can look like? So evidently Ben Thompson, um, 
one of the more popular tech uh, newsletter writers, a few years back was roughly making around $3 million um, and plus all the other kinds of uh, um, benefits, both financial and otherwise that come from, you know, nurturing a community. So he was, uh, you know, at Microsoft, left, started a newsletter over five, six years, it became something and now it's become like the version of truth. So you're seeing how a side hustle uh, went through the entire phase. And I will see a lot more people like you uh, who are you know, pursuing their curiosities, uh, finding one curiosity that they wanna double down on, going to side hustle stack, uh, finding lots of platforms that can help monetize them and taking perhaps that side hustle into a full-time hustle. So it's, uh, it's really uh, thought through, kudos to you and your team. Uh, so Lila, what are some challenges that you're observing in this um, passion economy, creator economy space? What insights do you have from uh, running this platform along with two wonderful co-founders? Yeah, I think that um, challenges, there's a lot of them. There's the sort of barriers that prevent people from either starting on this journey in the first place or from making a leap from side hustle to main hustle. Um, and those barriers take a couple of different forms. The first being simply financial. If you're starting something like a newsletter um, that might one day grow into be something that's hugely rewarding more so than a current job, um, it can be very financially daunting and not very stable at first. Or if you're doing a freelance project and you're getting paid in spurts, you're not getting paid a steady income, even if you're making an, a comparable amount of money, it's, it, it doesn't feel like that. So um, enabling financial security, especially um, here in the US in terms of healthcare and benefits and some of that other infrastructure that might come with a workplace that might be more difficult if you're on your own and navigating taxes and you know all these ambiguities that you need to figure out, but you don't know how, I think is definitely hmm. um, a challenge for a lot of people and so we're thinking about how can we how can we solve this as well um and then there's other more psychological barriers that prevent people um from diving into this some of them are the result of sort of implicit you know biases that exist in the world around us so um i heard a story recently from somebody i was talking to how one of his clients has started a um youtube channel and because of the way he looked and the color of his skin, he was having trouble getting advertisements or creating income um, as an influencer, so to speak. And that really can create really frustrating and stressful situations where in a workplace, you might feel like, oh, I can, you know, there's, there's policies in place, whether they work or not is another question, but there's hmm. things that can help defend me. Whereas as an independent individual, you're out there on your own. Um, funding for yourself and overcoming those challenges. Um, another barrier is community. Um, in a workspace, you have your team, you have the people that surround you. When you're out on your own, it doesn't mean that that community doesn't exist, but you have to find it proactively. Hmm. Um, whether that's joining things like network capital, joining Slack channels, joining whatever it might be, and, and figuring out which communities are the best for helping enable your success. Where do you find people that are supportive, who you can learn from, who can give you feedback and who can help you? Um, and, and also how do you develop through that? So 
you might start out in a community and, and you're having more success or you're running into certain problems, um, how do your communities evolve as you evolve? Um, hmm. So lots of, there's lots of things that I think are, are present barriers or difficulties, but there's also lots of responses and solutions and ways that people have reasoned through them. And I think this is all um, continuous. It's work in progress. Yeah. It's yeah, work very in much progress. work in progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love uh, the depth of this answer because, uh, you know, we on Network Capital, um, essentially when uh, my colleague Vadria, who you know, uh, and I were thinking about restructuring the app, the Network Capital app uh, and the website, he said, okay, how do we structure all that we do? So we came up with three things. Okay, we do uh, career intelligence, we make great content, podcasts, masterclasses, newsletter, and we run a, a, perhaps the world's largest community. And then it struck us that almost everything we do is because of the community. And I think it is also because of the community that we don't feel as lonely because, you know, COVID has been a, a, a challenging time for a lot of people. And uh, because of the community, you can, you know, for the peer-to-peer -peer support. So of the three C's that Network Capital does, the community, I think, is the uh, most meaningful and most uh, powerful source of it. I mean, you and I are having this masterclass also because of the community. Content is a byproduct of it. With the Writers Fellowship, when we get you on, when you write for us and we write for you, all that is basically exploring synergies. And why I also love this community model is because it is not competing against a finite pie because the problem is so large that multiple communities can coexist, solve different kinds of problems and enable each other. So it's not a competition versus collaboration. It's just that a scope to expand the pie. And I think you and your co-founders are doing a wonderful job for creating a uh, entire passion economy stack, which I also thought uh, was an interesting uh, play on product hunt. So what do you think this uh, passion economy stack will look like, say, a few years out? A lot of these conversations might evolve over a period of time, but I want um, our community members to hear it from, you know, um, somebody who's uh, in the midst of all of this. I think what's coming is um, more and more tools that can help enable people to navigate some of those missing workplace um, infrastructure and, and benefits and things that confuse them and figuring out how do they allocate their time? How do they track their income? Um, how do they you know, get reviews and people to vouch for the work they're doing? And how do they find new projects? Um, and so I think, um, as these like big players that are springing up to say here, like, you know, there's, you know, the sub stacks and so forth that are actually enabling people to go out and do what they're interested in and get paid as more of those spring up, there'll be more around the peripheries as well of kind of complementary. Um, and, and it'll be cool to see how that evolves and exactly what that looks like. I think it feels like only the beginning only getting started and so there's a long um, runway to come yeah but a very yeah. in-depth answer I, I guess I'm thinking about it in my head and trying to um, figure it out um, I think also maybe these communities will continue not maybe for sure they'll definitely continue growing as well hmm. and so as more and more people enter these communities 
um, the dynamics uh, within them, I think, grow more complicated, but it also opens up more and more spaces to collaborate um, mm. around very narrow things. And so you can get your sort of um, experts and people with just most interested in this completely obscure thing will be able to come together and say, this isn't just something we're interested in, but this is something that we are going to fully make a career out of and let's support each other. And so I think the more communities mature, the the better, right? There's just so much that comes of that. There's there's wealth of knowledge yeah. and experience and people that are mentoring and passing it on. So um, that will be wonderful to watch as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just like, uh coming towards the very end of this masterclass. We're going to do a few of these with you because you have so many, many interesting perspectives and a wide range of things. Uh, talk to us about uh, the unbundling, if at all, you will see in the passion economy. Do you see, say, things like unbundling of education or unbundling of media happen more or happen at a faster pace in the coming years? I'm really stuck here. Um, I think one problem I've been having is in terms of content. And I wouldn't say just in terms of creating, but in terms from a consumer's perspective is it feels like there is just such an explosion of, of you know, not just content, but communities. And, and for me, as somebody trying to navigate it, it's how do we explore this? I mean, that's so what we're doing with Side Hustle Stack is that there's all these platforms, well, let's aggregate like put them all together in one place so that we can see where they are and figure it out mm. um and I, I, coming back to content i I've, i'm struggling i have you know there's the newspaper subscriptions i saw yesterday i'm subscribed to like 36 substack newsletters um there's <laughs> a <laughs> webinar you know an avalanche of webinars do you speak some hindi lila do you do you understand hindi at oh, all oh gosh i i <laughs> i took i went to sunday school for two years and they put me i was quite offended i did it in first grade and second grade they made me repeat year one i think by accident okay. i tell myself but i i didn't do very well and i have come away with very little so i will but let me Much tell you why head. I asked you this question. So, you know, uh, there was this phase or there's still this death by webinar uh, memes going around. Mm -hmm. So the Bollywood memes on death by webinars are just hilarious. I mean, if you understand this basic Hindi, like Mujhe webinar nahi atan karna and this like uh, actors and actresses crying their hearts out, you got to check them out, perhaps for your next TikTok or your side hustles. Okay. But essentially, yeah, absolutely. I, I we've been dealing it with it as well. What happens when you're flooded with 36 newsletters, 88 webinars, and 1,000 people trying to tell you that they're passionate about something and have now, well, you know, doing something? It's, it's hard. It's not an easy problem. It, yeah, and, and the question of, I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very deeply interested in this question of how do we, um, you know, create healthier information ecosystems and not have it so that we have these dueling realities where what's existing online isn't compatible with our physical real world institutions, which has been playing out, you know, in the US Capitol and, and across the world. And so I think reconciling this, this issue of how, how do we better distribute and receive content is a huge question. Um, and I would love to see that solved. I would love to help solve that. and still figuring out what that looks like. Um, so in terms of unbundling, rebundling, 
I I feel like there's it's forces moving in in both directions. I don't I, I think you know you mentioned as as you have more and more of these individuals creating and and doing their own thing. Um, yeah, the question is is how how is that organized and how how do I um, communicate with that? And I think yeah, there's been you know jokes and conversations. And you know if everybody has their newsletter whatever it is you can all of a sudden you're just trading each other for, for, for stuff so um, hmm. it's an, it'll be interesting to watch that play out wonderful so um i think by any stretch or by any standard you would feel uh, you know you would be somebody who would have succeeded more than failed right you've gotten into great places you have a very impressive uh, cv etc um do you think you failed enough in all your projects and endeavors yet? No, um, I think I haven't failed enough. And I think mm -hmm. I haven't, it's a result of not taking bold enough risks. And this is something I, I wanna work on is I wanna take more risks that enable me to fail more. Um, and I think that's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot is um, I, I think there, there's a, uh, I don't mind doing things that seem out of my comfort zone, but only within a, in a, in a category of things that seem outside my comfort zone that now they feel like they're inside my comfort zone. If, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, oh, it makes total sense. I study this subject extensively, which is why I actually wanted to wish you loads and loads of, uh, successful failures this year. Uh, okay, well, I hope I, you I really multiple times. <laughs> And I hope you. Uh, you rise up stronger. And now, because you know you're uh, you enjoy math and research, so let me give you some research that'll probably you'll find interesting. So there's research done in this subject. Who succeeds more, the people who fail more or the people who fail less? So the data is very clear. Um, if you fail multiple times and you keep trying, you're much more likely to be significantly more successful than people who don't fail at all. However. There are some people who will fail a few times and then they won't try again. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. life isn't so kind to them. So I wish you lots of failures, uh, lots of collaborations with you and all the wonderful projects that we do. And I hope you fail multiple times. I fail multiple times. I lift you and you lift me. And I think that's essentially the thesis of what people should do in the passion economy, right? I 100% agree with you. Um, couldn't have put it better. Uh, it was such a delight uh, uh, speaking with you, Lila. Uh, I really look forward to a round two of this uh, in the next uh, you know, few months, and then we'll see uh, what you're up to, and we'll tell you what we are. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a great conversation and pushed me to think about a lot of new things and how I'll be approaching 2021. So. <laughs> the pleasure of ours and you know our listeners already know there's a re this is why we don't tell our questions in advance because it's fun to sort of jam uh, real time yeah? totally yeah 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 wonderful great